Good morning, ladies. Sorry about the mix-up about Wednesday and not um, recording, <clears throat> but here it is coming to you now. So um, let's get started for our Romans review. The outline is the introduction of Romans, the wrath of God against all humankind, and the grace of God in the Bible, in the gospel. Good morning, ladies. I'm not sure if any of you are like me, but when December comes, my brain shuts off to everything but Christmas. I was hopeful that over the Christmas break, I would sit down and review what I had learned in our Roman study. I mean, I knew that I had to do a review with all of you today, so really, I should have been reviewing. But I wasn't. I put it on the shelf. I put all the books away in the bag that we teachers hand back and forth to one another and put it in the corner of my room. Do you see the irony of this? The time of year that I should have really been soaking in why Jesus came as a baby, I put the thoughts out of my mind. In my arrogant, sinful, and selfish ways, I put it out of my mind, out of my way, so that I could make room for gifts and food and planning the perfect Christmas for my family. Why? Why do I always do this? Why do I let the things of this world consume me and not let the things of God consume my every thought and action? I don't understand my own actions. Why do I do the things that I do not want to do? Wait a minute. That sounds familiar. Paul said the same thing. In his goodness, God has provided me with a reminder of what I have learned. A connection with the writer of Romans. <clears throat> God reminds us that we are all sinners that need redeeming. Not one of us is righteous. We all need the saving work of Jesus. This is Romans, and what we have studied will not return void. So let's take some time to see what else we have taken away from the first few, first eight chapters in Roman. Introduction. Paul starts the first chapter of Romans with an introduction. Stop it. He explains who he is to his readers. Remember that most of his original readers didn't know him. He hadn't planted the church in Rome, and he had never been there. To gain their trust and acceptance of him, Paul had to give the reader his credentials. It's kind of like going to meet someone for the first time and giving them your business card. Paul wants his readers to know him, and then his message would really be more readily received. Next, Paul sends the readers a greeting. He tells them of what he has heard about them and his love for them. He tells them that he has wanted to come and see them, and it is his plan to do so. He wants to be encouraged by them and to encourage them. He has a plan that has yet to come to fruition, but in the meantime, he wants to make sure that they know the reason that he would like to come to them. In this first chapter of Romans, Paul, tell, Paul also lets his readers know what the theme is that he's going to be talking about in his letter to them. In short, the theme of the book is the gospel. In verse 16 through 17, he sums up the whole book. The focus of the book is hugely summarized in these verses, but he tells his readers the main point. It is a helpful point, given that he is going to start explaining the entire gospel. The Wrath of God Against All Humankind Chapters 1, verse 18 through 
chapter 3, verse 20, is the next portion of the letter. This portion of the letter explains the wrath of God towards the unrighteousness of all man. We see Paul pointing out the sinfulness of man three times, and three times Paul says what? What did God do when man insisted on living lives against his truth? Living impure, dishonoring, unrighteous, and evil lives. Paul says God gave them up to their evil ways. In this portion of the scripture, Paul speaks to the Gentiles who have not been taught God's law. Even though they have not been raised with the knowledge of the laws God gave, Paul argues that all people have an inherent concept of right and wrong. Paul then speaks to the self-righteous Jews who believe they are in a better standing with God because they keep or try really, really hard to keep the laws handed down to them from God through Moses. Even though the Jews had the law, they were not living it, but held the fact that they had been given the law in a place of superiority over the Gentiles. Paul puts the Jews in their place by telling them that neither knowing the law nor being circumcised puts them in a right standing with God. All through this portion of portion of scripture, Paul is showing his readers and us the depravity in us that we need to be cleansed from. He is showing us the wrath of God from which we need to be saved. As he is pointing out the mess we are in, Paul is also pointing his readers to the gracious and loving God who is holy and cannot tolerate any unholiness in his presence. Paul explains to the readers of the time and to us that there is no one that is righteous. Paul quotes from Psalm 14 when he says, No one is righteous, no, not one. He also says in verse 20, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul says the law is not there to live up to, but the law is there to show us God's righteousness and our unrighteousness. The law shows us our need to be saved from the wrath of God. Apart from God, we are helpless, hopeless, destined for death and eternal separation from God. But now, the grace of God in the gospel. In this next portion of Romans, we see this glorious hope we have been given. Chapters 3, verse 21, through chapter 8, verse 39, Paul explains the gospel in detail to his readers. Here we see that focus of his letter shifts. The good news begins. Paul explains the good news. He explains how God, in his glorious goodness, has resolved the issue of our unrighteousness and the separation that sin brings between us and God. In chapter 4, we start to get a clear understanding of how we get to a right standing with God. It is through faith in who Jesus is and what he did for us. Our righteousness is a gracious gift from God that we received by faith. Paul explains that this right standing with God has nothing to do with our works. It is by faith alone. Paul explains how it is through faith that we are saved by talking about Abraham. Righteousness was credited to Abraham. It was not by Abraham obeying the law that he was in right standing with God because the law came some 450 years after Abraham. 
It was not by Abraham being circumcised that put him in a right standing with God because God credited Abraham with righteousness before he was circumcised. It was Abraham believing that God would do what he said he would do, and God did. God gave Abraham a son through his wife Sarah as he promised, and this was the beginning of God's promise to fill the earth through Abraham. Paul tells us that righteousness is through faith, not works. Chapter 5 goes on to tell us that what the res- tell us what the result of fruits are of the righteousness we are given. This righteousness brings us peace with God. We can be in a state of rejoicing even in suffering. We are saved from God's wrath and we are reconciled to God. We talked about how peace with God doesn't mean easy and carefree living. Paul says there will be sufferings, but that produces hope in the one with whom we have peace. Our faith in God reveals his faithfulness to us in those situations. Paul goes on to give comparisons and contrasts between Jesus and Adam. We talked about this as well. In the questions we will answer after, you will have time to review the comparisons and contrasts in what does indeed make Jesus the second and much better Adam. Through Adam, we had sin and death. Through Jesus, we have redemption and eternal life if we choose it. So how do we gain life with Jesus? What must happen and what does our life look like if we are to have eternal life? Chapter 6 and 7 Sorry, chapter 6 and into the first part of 7 says we are united to Christ in death. When we accept the free gift of salvation through Jesus, we die to our sin. We die to our old ways of living. We are now alive in Christ. The life we live is in him. That doesn't mean we never sin again, but we recognize our sin, turn from it, and live under God's grace. Paul goes on to explain how we are slaves to the one whom we obey. As slaves are, we have been bought at a very high price. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for us. If we are a slave still to sin, then we have not accepted the free gift of life that Jesus bought for us. If we are a slave to sin, that brings death and separation from God. If we are a slave to God, this brings life and freedom. The latter part of chapter 7 explains sin and the law. Paul shows how God gave the Israelites the law, not so that it would be followed perfectly, but to point out or show what sin really was. The law also points to our need for redemption, because our earthly flesh still desires to do what is wrong. We see sin for what it is, but struggle to do what is right. The law points to sin, and sin points to our need for God to intervene in order that we may be righteous. And lastly, in chapter 8, we see that because of Jesus' death, we have life in the Spirit of God. We have no more condemnation. We are dead to our old way of living, and we are set free because of the Spirit of God. Because of Jesus' saving work on the cross, we have died to the requirements of the law, yet all that is required of the law has been fulfilled through Jesus. We have the Spirit living in us if we are believers, and He guides us to live holy lives. He points us toward godly living. He convicts us of our wayward living and shows us the righteous way to live. As Christians, we know we live by the Spirit if we have set our minds on things of God, submit to God, 
and are living a life trying to, in the strength of God, obey his word. I just want to close by summarizing the first part of Romans um, through another letter that Paul wrote. This is Ephesians 2, verse 1 to 10. And it says, And when you were dead in the trespass and sin of which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable measure riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by faith you have been saved. Through uh, for by great i'm sorry for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is a gift of god not a result of works so that no one can boast for we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand and we should walk in them after the teaching we had questions that the ladies answered at the table. I will just read those questions to you now. The first question is, what verse or verses in the first chapter sums up what Romans is really all about? What do these verses tell us about Paul? And what does it tell us about the gospel? If you didn't know Paul and you didn't know the gospel, would this give you a good idea as to who Paul was and what his letter was going to be about? Second question, starting in chapter 1, 18 through 3, verse 20, we are shown from what we need to be saved. That is God's wrath. What about us necessitates God's wrath? Why does God want to save us from what we deserve? And how does this shape the way you feel about God? Question 3, Romans 3, verse 21 through 8 verse 39, Paul teaches us about God's grace in the gospel. God had a plan for fellowship and communion with us right from Genesis. That was destroyed in the garden. God made a way for the relationship with him to be restored. This was through the second and better Adam, Jesus Christ. Discuss how Paul used the example of Abraham as our image of how we are to accept this gift through faith and not any works we can do or will do. Relate it to how that looks for us today in our everyday life. And that's it. Thanks so much, ladies.